I'm just going to read verses 3 to verse 8. Beloved, although I was eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Now I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus, who saved a people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels, who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. Yet, in like manner, these people, also relying on their dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. So I wrote here just to begin with, just a reminder, why is the book of Jude one of the most neglected books of the Bible in our day and age? I wrote, the letter of Jude focuses on root sins that must be repented of towards God, which can only be done by the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the work of the Holy Spirit, which is offensive, offensive to many in our day and age. By and large, their evangelical church has been avoiding root sins and only focused on fruit sins in which a sinner does not need the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ or the work of the Holy Spirit to turn from. In other words, the evangelical church has neglected the inside of the cup and the plate and only focused on the outside of the cup and the plate. Matthew 23 25, 26, the Lord gives these woes to the Pharisees. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisees, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate that the outside also may be clean. So an example of this, instead of exposing a person's heart and pointing out the root sins such as unbelief, selfishness, stubborn rebellion, and pride, which are internal sins directly aimed against God and only seen by God. The heart, you don't even know your own heart. It's deceitful. So instead of that, most people will focus on the fruit sins such as lying, Stealing, adultery, being disobedient to parents, and point out these external sins against other people that can be seen by other people. And they point these out in such a way that they never have to repent of the root sins towards God. So a child is told to repent of sinning against their parents, but they're never told to repent because they've sinned against their creator. 
the one and true living God. One commentator wrote, The message of Jude is alien to many in today's world, for Jude emphasized that the Lord will certainly judge evil intruders who are attempting to corrupt the church. The message of judgment strikes many in our world as intolerant, unloving, and contrary to the message of love proclaimed elsewhere in the New Testament. Root sins against God will be judged by God himself. They will be condemned. When we don't focus on those, and we just focus on the fruit, we should have no assurance of saving faith. Root sins must be dealt with to have saving faith. And that's offensive to the world. So, two characteristics of Jude's writing style I wrote here. Jude has an analytical mind, and therefore Jude writes an analytical letter or sermon. Analytical letters offer a clear point of view, are well organized around a main idea, address opposing arguments, and are thoroughly supported by primary and secondary sources. Knowing that Jude has an analytical mind and has written an analytical letter, we can see more clearly Jude's main purpose followed by his argument. So in Jude 3, we looked at the purpose of Jude's letter. We are to earnestly contend for the faith. In Jude verse 4, we saw the problem and danger for the church. These imposters have crept in. They deny our only master and Lord. They've traded grace for sensuality. And they're exposing the rest of the people in the church to this by the way they live in the Christian community. So in Jude 5 through 17, we will see the primary and secondary sources that Jude uses to warn all those in the church community that those who do not come to faith in Jesus Christ and remain in the faith in Jesus Christ will receive judgment and condemnation. Jude also points out the root sins and the fruit sins of these false Christians, followed by their judgment and condemnation for our Lord and Master, from our Lord and Master Jesus Christ. It's Jesus who will judge you in righteousness. That's part of our gospel message. He's the one appointed by God, by his resurrection, to judge the living and the dead. So also in verses 5 through 17, Jude will give us a detailed description of these false Christians by using examples from the Old Testament scriptures, Jewish traditions, and similitudes of nature and promise to help the church get a clear picture of who these imposters may be and how to identify them amongst God's elect. And that's what Jude's doing in these next verses. So the second characteristic of Jude's writing style, Jude writes in patterns, mainly patterns of three. In these 25 verses, Jude's letter, we will see 11 patterns of three, one pattern of five, and one pattern of four. That's a lot of patterns in just 25 short verses. So we should think about that as we read it, as we try to interpret this book, as we try to learn as much as we can about this book while learning about Jude, the author. 
should help us. So in the next few sermons, we'll be focused on two of these patterns of three. Jude 5 through 7 and Jude 8. Those are the patterns of three, and I'll show you that in just a second. But in Jude verses 5 through 7, Jude uses Old Testament examples to point out the root sins and the judgment and condemnation that followed from the Lord. These were the root sins. In verse 8, Jude will reverse the order of three and show the fruit sins of the false Christians that have crept in unnoticed. So let's look at these real quick here. And actually before that, um, not all people struggle with the same root sins. So not everybody's fruit looks the same. And we need to know that because if we just lump all of these sins all onto all people, we'll treat those people like robots. We'll just take the same message, the same We'll, we'll, we'll share the gospel with everyone in the same way every time. But we need to listen to people. We need to see where they're at. And we need to start from where they're at to share the gospel with them. So we must be like our Lord Jesus and the apostles in which we see in the scriptures. They would meet people where they were at and expose the sin that was keeping them from believing the gospel and following Jesus Christ. They always met that person specifically where they were at and said, here's where you must turn to follow Christ. Let's deal with it. But in Jesus' case, most people turned the other way. And they followed another voice. So what we're going to do today is we're going to look at these first three verses or we're going to look at verse 5, but I want, to, I want to show you how these all connect real quick. And I want to be clear about the way I'm, I'm looking at these verses. I believe Jude wants us to see each verse point out a root sin that is exposed by a fruit sin in verse 8. So in 5 through 7, we'll see three different root sins. And then in verse 8, he'll turn them around and we'll see the fruit of those root sins. So let me read them and just kind of listen to the flow, okay? I'm going to read 5 through 7. Now I want to remind you, though you know all things, that Jesus, having once saved a people out of the land of Egypt, subsequently destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not keep their own domain, but abandoned their proper abode, he has kept in eternal bonds under darkness for the judgment of the great day. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them, having indulged in the same way as these in gross sexual immorality and having gone after strange flesh, are exhibited as an example and undergoing the punishment of eternal fire. So we see our three Old Testament examples with the root sins. And then verse 8, Yet in the same way these men also by dreaming defile the flesh and reject authority, and blaspheme glorious ones. And I don't know if you saw the pattern, but you see the pattern of the examples and the pattern of the fruit. And I'm just going to take the time to read these again, and I'm going to flip verse 8 backwards, and I'm going to put each one where they go with verses 5 through 7. 
So let me read this to you and see if you can see this connection. Jude 5. Now I want to remind you, though you know all things, that Jesus, having once saved a people out of the land of Egypt, subsequently destroyed those who did not, who do not believe. The root sin is do not believe. Verse 8. Yet in the same way, these men blaspheme the glorious ones. That's the fruit. And we're going to go into depth in that today. Jude 6. And the angels who did not keep their own domain, but abandoned their proper abode, he has kept in eternal bonds under darkness for the judgment of the great day. So they did not keep their own domain, but they abandoned their proper abode. And we're going to call that stubborn rebellion. That's the, that's the root sin. In verse 8, Yet in the same way, these men reject authority. So that's the fruit sin of these false Christians. Their stubborn rebellion leads to them rejecting authority. We'll keep going here. Verse 7. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them, having indulged in the same way as these in gross sexual immorality and having gone after strange flesh, are exhibited as an example in undergoing the punishment of eternal fire. Yet, and so that's verse 7, we see that Old Testament example, and then we'll see the fruit that we're seeing in these false Christians that have crept in the church. So verse 8, yet in the same way these men defile the flesh. That's the fruit of it. And if we read our scriptures, which we will when we get to this verse, that defilement of the flesh that going after strange flesh always stems from the root sin of pride. The Bible's clear that Sodom and Gomorrah, though homosexuality is, a, is the sin that they were charged with, it's actually pride that leads them there. So in Jude, verse 5, he starts with, Now I want to remind you, though you know all things... Jude is making a transition from the purpose of his letter and the problem for the church to the body of his letter, pointing out the reality of the impostor's sins and the judgment to follow. So we just saw the root sins and the examples, and then we saw the fruit sins that we can see in these false Christians that have crept into the church. He's given us a description. So Jude is not saying that these Christians know, and so let's look. Now, I want to remind you, Jude says. He wants to remind the church. Though you know all things. So let's kind of explain that. So Jude's not saying that these Christians know everything as God knows everything. But that the body of truth that relates to the faith, which was once and all handed down to the saints is everything that Christian needs for life and godliness. You don't need to know everything. You just need to know what pertains to life and godliness by knowing the faith. And Jude does not mean that these Christians have to be reminded because they have forgotten the truth. But that these Christians have without a doubt received the truth by faith but from time to time need to be reminded of the truth revealed in the scriptures 
so that the Christian is conformed more and more to the image of Christ and can continue to follow Christ closely. So this body of faith has been revealed to the Christians, to this church, to you if you're a believer in Christ. You know the faith, but we must remind you of these doctrines from time to time so that you can grow. So Jude is saying that although you have everything you need about the faith and need nothing more, you still need to remember these truths often according to the faith. So when we're struggling with sin, what do we need? We need to hear the truth about how Christ has set us free from that sin and how we can turn and must turn from that sin. But we need to look at different truths for different sins. We need to learn how to be obedient. We need to We need to see our place in the local church. We need to know our gifts and explore those. But we have to be reminded of the doctrines that got us to that point. We uh, seem to put them aside when we want to lack obedience. And Jude will allude to this again in verse 17. But you, beloved must remember the words that were spoken beforehand by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's going to remind them again a second time in only 25 verses. That means it's pretty important that we should remember these truths always. The Old Testament gives you this picture. You write them everywhere, right? Your door frames, your windows, out in your yard. You you have to speak about them all the time so that not only you remember, but everybody around you knows them and remembers. So we see this call to remembrance all throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament. And as I was studying Exodus this last week, the call for Israel to remember came almost all the time. Every chapter, it was almost like, remember, remember, remember. And yet, they didn't remember So this is known as biblical remembrance. And one man defines biblical remembrance like this, as a calling to mind a truth that will impact me afresh with its significance. It's recalling to mind a truth that we already know, but recalling it to mind in a way that is significance makes an impact on us, then in turn with an appropriate response to that impact. You remember this truth, it impacts you in such a way that you have the appropriate response. This is one of the reasons why we assemble to hear the preaching of the word for our remembrance, and also one of the ways in which brothers and sisters in Christ minister to one another by helping each other to remember the truths of the faith. That's why we always want to go back to scriptures with brothers and sisters and say, remember this truth. I know you know all things, but remember this for today. Remember this one for tomorrow. Remember this one when you have to deal with this person. The apostles write to remember throughout all the epistles. We see it twice in 2 Peter. We see it in Romans 15. We see it in 1 Timothy 4, 6, 2 Timothy 2, 14, Titus 3, 1. They're continually told, remind Remind, remind the people of this so that they can act in an appropriate way. Listen to the words of our master, Luke twenty-two nineteen b 
He says, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. That's a continual remembrance. We're commanded to do that. We need to remember the truths of Scripture. The Lord's Supper is a remembrance of who Jesus Christ is and what he has done. We as believers, we need these reminders so that we can have fresh experiences of the power of the gospel of God. We take the Lord's Supper. We remember what Christ did for us. We remember what he did to glorify the Father. And that makes us afresh want to live obedient, want to share, proclaim Him. So let's move on in Jude 5. We'll start here. That Jesus, having once saved a people out of the land of Egypt, subsequently destroyed those who did not believe. So the translation here that I'm reading from Jesus saved and destroyed, there are up to 11 Greek translations of this verse. And some say Jesus, some say Yahweh, and some say God Christ. And there are many who argue over which name should be used in this verse. And I really don't think it's important because we know the triune God is working in everything. But I just wrote a couple things here. Some commentators that I've read seem to agree that all the external evidence suggests Jesus rather than Lord is the correct reading. One commentator writes, New Testament writers identify Jesus Christ with the texts that refer to Yahweh in the Old Testament. John said that Isaiah saw the glory of Jesus Christ in John 12:41, Referring to the throne room vision of Isaiah 6, Isaiah said, every knee will bow to Yahweh and confess allegiance to him in Isaiah 45, 23. But Paul related this to Jesus Christ in Philippians 2, verses 10 through 11. Hence, it is not surprising that Jude could attribute the destruction of Israel, the angels, and Sodom and Gomorrah to Jesus Christ. Plus, we have the example from Paul in 1 Corinthians when Christ was the rock that Moses struck. So, back to Jude 5. Jesus, having once saved a people out of the land of Egypt, and Jude points his readers to the Exodus event when God chose a people for himself and made a nation, made the nation of Israel. And in Exodus chapter 6 through 14, we can see the true history of God delivering his people through Moses God shows everyone that he is the one and true living God, displaying his power for his glory, that his name might be proclaimed in all the earth. That's the purpose of the Exodus. God sends plagues, performs miracles, saves his people from slavery by forcing Pharaoh to let his people go. God delivers the people out of the land of Egypt by parting the Red Sea and then destroys the armies of Egypt. That's something we should remember, the power of God in our lives. And something that must be pointed out here is that the word saved here in the Old Testament is not the same 
is justification in the New Testament. Jesus didn't save all these people from their sins. And although this is a good picture of what being justified by the blood of Christ looks like in salvation, that is not what God was doing in Exodus. He was showing his power, his glory, his might, that his name would be proclaimed all around the earth. Romans 9, 6-7, For not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel, and not all are children of Abraham. We know that there may have been believers there that were saved, but not all of them. So we shouldn't interpret that as they were saved, they were justified, and we'll see all the people that came out of Egypt in heaven. Just wanted to be clear on that. So, Jude 5, let's go back there. Subsequently, Jesus destroyed those who did not believe. And Jude points his readers to the true history of God destroying those people who rebelled in unbelief and did not go into the land of Canaan, the promised land, when they got an evil report from ten of the twelve spies that were frightened when they saw the giants in the land. It says it was an evil and unbelieving report. So Jude writes, Jesus destroyed this, and the same term is used in Numbers 14, 12. I will strike them with pestilence and disinherit them, God says, for believing that evil report and not God's promises. And Jude writes that Israel did not believe, and the same term is used in Numbers 14, 11. And the Lord said to Moses, how long will this people despise me, and how long will they not believe in me? in spite of all the signs that I have done among them. Judas pointing this out. Their root sin is they did not believe. So they would listen to other voices. So Judas reminding his readers that all the people who were 20 years of age and older but did not believe died in the wilderness on the way to Canaan. And so let's go back to Jude 5 for some observations. Jude 5 Now I want to remind you, though you know all things, that Jesus, having once saved a people out of the land of Egypt, subsequently destroyed those who did not believe. And Jude's main point is clear. Jude gives the warning that although you are in a church community, that sin and unbelief still remains in you without true repentance. And if it still does, then you can only expect judgment and wrath from God. So as long, if you're in this church and you are still unbelieving and have an unbelieving heart, you are still under the wrath of God. This won't save you just being here on Sunday. This won't save you being in this community. So who is this warning for? Well, this warning is for believers in the church to continually examine their hearts and make sure that they do not depart from the faith. It's always good to be warned by God so that we don't depart, so that we have a fresh obedience. This warning is for the persons who have crept in unnoticed that they can expect judgment and wrath from the Lord for their ungodliness. This warning is for the doubters, the influenced, and the influencers that we'll see later on in Jude, that they are not safe from judgment and wrath from our Lord just by professing Jesus as their Savior, and being part of the church community, they must come to genuine repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. 
One commentator writes, the main point Jude made is clear. No person in the believing community can presume on God's grace, thinking that an initial decision to follow Christ or baptism ensures their future salvation, regardless of how they respond to the intruders. Israel's apostasy stands as a warning to all those who think that an initial commitment secures their future destiny without ongoing obedience. Those who are God's people demonstrate the genuineness of their salvation by responding to the warning given. The warnings are one of the means by which God preserves his people until the end. Those who ignore such warnings neglect the very means God has appointed for obtaining eschatological salvation. Nor should such a perspective be considered a form of works righteousness. Jude pinpointed the fundamental reason Israel was, not, was judged. They failed to believe in God. So let's go back there and see the root sin along with the fruit sin again. Now I want to remind you, though you know all things, that Jesus, having once saved a people out of the land of Egypt, subsequently destroyed those who did not believe. Yet in the same way, these men blaspheme the glorious ones. Who are these men? The intruders. Those who have crept in unnoticed. They have the same fruit as Israel. The root sin... The internal sin is unbelief in God, and the fruit sin, external sin, is blaspheming the glorious ones. So what is unbelief? Unbelief is the opposite of faith and belief. Webster's, faith, evangelical faith, justifying or saving faith, is the assent of mind to the truth of divine revelation on the authority of God's testimony accompanied with a cordial assent of the will or approbation of the heart, an entire confidence or trust in God's character and declarations and in the character and, doctrine, character and doctrines of Christ, with an unreserved surrender of the will to his guidance and dependence on his merits for salvation. In other words, that firm belief of God's testimony and of the truth of the gospel, which influences the will and leads to an entire reliance on Christ for salvation. That's faith, belief, the assent of the mind to the truth of what is declared by another, resting on his authority and veracity, without other evidence. The judgment that what another states or testifies is the truth. That's what faith and belief is. You just believe the word of God. You believe the doctrines of Christ. One man's definition of unbelief, our willful choice not to believe what God says about himself is really true. What he says about man is really true. What he says about the law is really true. What he says about worship is really true. Unbelief is not listening to the voice of Jesus Christ. And once again, I say unbelief was the root sin of the people of Israel. Numbers 14.11, And the Lord said to Moses, How long will this people despise me? How long will they not believe in me in spite of all the signs that I have done among them? 
One man said, no sin dishonors God as much as unbelief. It calls into question his mercy, power, justice, and especially his truth. Anyone who does not believe God has made him out to be a liar. To say that someone is a liar is to say he is unfit to keep company with others. This is a special injury to God, who stands more on his word than any part of his name. You have exalted above all things your name and your word, Psalm 138.2, because unbelief accuses God, limits him to secondary causes, and denies him his glory. It is a heinous and hateful sin against God. Your unbelief is actually hatred of God. We see that in Romans 8. While you were an enemy, Christ died for you. So what do these people do that don't believe in God? Well, they, that are in this church, they blaspheme the glorious ones, Jude says. And Israel's fruit sin was blaspheming the glorious ones. So we can see a perfect picture of how these men come into the church, or women, and they blaspheme the glorious ones in the church. So who are the glorious ones? Well, the glorious ones in Israel, they were the ones who God appointed to be the servants of Israel. And the glorious ones in the New Testament church are the ones that God has appointed to be the servants of Christ's church. So who are the glorious ones that the people of Israel were blaspheming? Moses and Aaron. I'll just read to you a few verses, although there's so many, where we can see the people blaspheme, grumble. Exodus fourteen ten through 11, And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, It is because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? That wasn't what Moses was doing. Exodus fifteen twenty four, And the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? As if God would not provide water. He said he would get them to the promised land. He'll give them everything they need. Exodus 16, 2. The whole congregation of people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. Exodus 17, 2 points to it. Numbers 14, 2. And all the people grumbled against Moses and Aaron. Numbers 16, 2 and 3, they point to it. Numbers 20, 2 through 3. Now there was no water for the congregation, and they assembled together against Moses and Aaron. Unbelief caused them to grumble against Moses and Aaron, which was making God out to be a liar. Because God said, I will deliver you. But they couldn't just directly grumble at God. So they had to do it to his servants, Moses and Aaron. And after that part in Numbers 20, we see just Moses goes up with Aaron. They go and they're with the glory of the Lord. And God is speaking them to them directly and says, go and talk to the rock. And, and I'll, I'll have mercy on the whole congregation. I'll give them more water. 
And because their unbelief is so prevalent, and because Moses and Aaron are with them, it's not that Moses and Aaron aren't true believers, but Moses falls into unbelief and strikes the rock. And it says he struck the rock out of anger. But what caused the anger? It was his own unbelief in the people that God chose. See, our sin affects others inside us in the church. And we can see a clear picture of that. So then Moses acts in unbelief and can't even go into the promised land that God had promised for the people of Israel. He has to go up on the mountain, look at the land, and die. God judged him in his sin. So let's go back to Jude 5. Now I want to remind you, though you know all things, that Jesus, having once saved a people out of the land of Egypt, subsequently destroyed those who did not believe. Yet in the same way, these men blaspheme the glorious ones. Jude brings this picture from Israel's history and says, this is what these persons that have crept in unnoticed are doing inside the church. Jude is saying that these imposters, their fruit sin is blaspheming against God's appointed servants in Christ's church because of their root sin of unbelief and Jesus Christ himself will judge and destroy these unbelievers. The church is in a safe place. And in fact, the scripture says that these people are under wrath right now. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Whoever does not obey the Son, that's unbelief. Right? Whoever believes the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey, why would they not obey? Because they do not believe the Son. And the wrath of God remains on them now. I'll read to you from 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. We'll read verses 9 through 12. The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refused to love the truth and so be saved. Therefore God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false in order that all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure and unrighteousness. That's almost the same thing that Jude is saying. Every one of us has been exposed to the truth of the gospel, but not everyone in here believes. That's a scary thought. So what should we do? We must expose the root sins of our own hearts by paying attention to the external fruit sins in our own lives. We must examine ourselves, see that it's the Lord that is working in us and through us and that he will bring it to completion 
but make sure that it's him. And we must do this in the lives of the people in the church and be willing to contend earnestly for the faith by pointing one another to the Lamb of God, our Lord and Master Jesus Christ, who takes away the sins of the world. Point them. Ask them, command them, invite them. Repent and believe this gospel. You can be saved. You can be healed today of that unbelief. Look how it has destroyed your life already. And this is just the beginning of your destruction. Don't listen to those people that have crept in. They're wrong. Don't doubt. Don't be influenced. Don't be contaminated by their sins. So let's just end with Hebrews 3. Another warning for our good. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share, for we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. As it is said, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. Amen. Father, we we ask that you would help us to hear your voice, the voice of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, that we would obey that voice, that all the other voices all around us would be silent that we would hear your voice, Jesus, and believe. Please, Lord, let mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to us. And those of us in here that do not believe, save them for your Son, that Jesus would have the fullness of his reward. In Jesus' name.